Today on Living Truth Radio, Pastor Michael Lance starts a five-part series in Genesis 49 entitled, Jacob's Prophecy. Part one begins with Jacob on his deathbed as he gathers his sons to give each of them a special word from the Lord. Genesis 49 tonight, as we look at Jacob's prophecy, as we move through the book of Genesis, Genesis 49, we're going to start in verse 1. So we've had kind of a a prolonged section where Jacob is dying, and uh, we're in chapter 49 of a book that has 50 chapters, and so the book of beginnings is coming to an end. The book of Genesis literally means beginnings, that's what the word means, and it's coming to an end, and we're in the second to the last chapter, chapter 49, And we're in verse 1, and this is where Jacob has given a cross-handed blessing to the sons of Joseph. Remember, Ephraim and Manasseh had come in. He went through this kind of formal adoption process where he brought Ephraim and Manasseh in and kind of gave them, switched up the blessing, and the younger one received the blessing instead of the older. Joseph tried to stop it. Dad said, no, this is the way things are going to be. And in doing so, when Ephraim and Manasseh were adopted into Jacob's family, really became like his children, what it accomplished was it allowed a double portion to go to Joseph. And since Joseph was the firstborn of Rachel, what really happened was Jacob, through God's providence, uh, allowed Joseph to have this extra blessing. And of course, Joseph, you know, became very fruitful and so forth, as we'll see later in the chapter. Now, after summoning uh, Joseph, he is going to summon the rest of his sons. This is chapter 49, verse 1. It says, Then Jacob, 49.1, summoned his sons and said, Assemble yourselves, that I may tell you what shall befall you. If you have the NIV, it says, Happen to you in the days to come. So Jacob's deathbed experience is going to become prophetic, or you could say predictive. Now, when we look at the word prophecy, prophecy is not always predictive. Sometimes prophecy is simply just speaking forth truth that's already there. It's not predictive in nature. But in this case, what Jacob is about to do is give what we would call a blessing slash prophecy, if you want to just kind of note that. It's a blessing with some predictive elements to it, and he's going to speak to each of his sons. And uh, as he does, he summons his sons. He summons them in. Uh, you can almost picture, you know, if you've ever had a loved one who's on a deathbed and they have a chance to speak words, this is what's going on here. Each of the sons will be addressed. And even though this is categorized as a blessing, some of the words that are shared are not going to be very pleasant words. They're going to be truthful words, but not pleasant words. So even though it is technically a blessing, it is predictive in nature, and uh, Jacob is going to speak into the lives of his son. He's going, sons. He's going to speak to them about days to come, and this is coming from a man who certainly his whole life was changed by God. Uh, Jacob was renamed Israel. Israel, I told you, I think the, probably the closest we have to define the name of Israel is God prevails. And what Jacob kept learning over and over again is that despite what he tried to do, even in times when he was a conniver and manipulative and all of that, God's will prevailed. But it doesn't mean that there's not consequences when we try to fight God's will. 
It doesn't mean things don't uh, happen to us uh, because we go the other way, and that's gonna be here as well. But this could be categorized as what we would say is a patriarchal blessing from a man who wrestled with God and found out that God does prevail. Genesis 50, verse 20, if you skip ahead for a second, we'll end the book in these verses. But Genesis 50, 20, I've been suggesting to you that this is probably as good as any is of a theme verse for the book of Genesis. And as for you, Genesis 50, verse 20, you meant evil against me, Joseph speaking to his brothers, but God meant it for good in order to bring about this present result and to preserve many people alive. Genesis 50, verse 20 is the Romans 8.28 of the Old Testament, and it tells us that God's will prevailed despite all the ugliness. If you just kind of, if you've been with us through the whole book of Genesis, you've seen how many ugly things happened to this family. This family was by no means a perfect family, and that, as we've gone along, we've said, boy, that gives me hope that God can choose a, you know, a salty bunch like this and get his will done. Boy, it's a great thing. And so uh, this is what occurs in the book as Jacob is now going to speak this blessing to his sons. Uh, Joseph and Judah are going to take, I think, 15 of the 25 verses. They're going to be the focus. But notice verse 2, he says, Gather together and hear, O sons of Jacob, and listen to Israel, your father. The Bible is filled with uh, wisdom from fathers to sons, Fathers really pleading to their sons to listen, 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 and listen some more. Mothers are also uh, shown this way in the book of Proverbs. Listen to the wisdom of your father. Listen to the wisdom of your mother. The man who wrote that, those uh, words, was a man who was blessed with wisdom, although he didn't always live out what he knew. Anybody kind of that way? We know things, but it doesn't mean we always align our wisdom with our walk. That's one of the things that God wants us to do. He wants you to, every time you get a nugget of wisdom, he wants you to align your walk with what you learn. He wants you to align your walk with the wisdom, and your father has great wisdom for you, and earthly fathers, of course, those who are walking with the Lord especially, have wisdom to give. And so Israel, he's, this is a sense of urgency. If ever you want to say what's important, it's now. Amen? You're on your deathbed. You want to impart wisdom to your sons. And the book of Proverbs is all about wisdom from a father to a son. And so he addresses the firstborn, verse three. He says, Reuben, you are my firstborn. My might and the beginning of my strength. Some would say, you could say this in a modern way, you are my pride and my joy. Preeminent in dignity and preeminent in power. Reuben, you are my firstborn. Reuben was the firstborn of Jacob's marriage to Leah. And Leah was not uh, Jacob's true love, Rachel was, but we know what Uncle Laban did. He snuck in the oldest daughter first, and many of the sons, the first sons, were born to Leah. And of course, Rachel was barren, and Reuben was the firstborn. And Reuben's name means, I, I think, behold a son is his name, and Reuben is the firstborn. 
He says, my pride and my joy, preeminent in dignity, preeminent in power. He had the rightful position, but what you're gonna see in a moment is that Reuben did not hold that position. He lost it. And he lost the position by his poor actions. Israel in Exodus 4.22 and 23 is called Yahweh's firstborn. When Moses speaks on behalf of God to the Pharaoh, he says, let Israel go. Israel is my firstborn. Let them go and let them serve me. Israel was the people of God. God chose them. He chose Abram and then Isaac and Jacob. And it wasn't because they were greater than any people and all of that, but God chose them and he put them in a a preeminent position. We often say that Israel is the chosen people of God. To them belong the promises and the covenants, Romans chapter nine. A preeminent spot they were given. Advantages they were given, spiritual advantages. They were given the law. They were given the direct presence of God as he led them out of Egypt. However, what did Israel do with the privilege? How would you measure how they did? Israel is my firstborn. Let my people go. Let them come and serve me and worship me on this mountain. How did Israel do with the privilege? Not so good. Israel was supposed to be a light to the Gentile nations. But the Gentile nations really, in many ways, ended up corrupting Israel, and Israel imbibed or embraced the ways of the pagans after many warnings from God. When you go into the land, don't learn their detestable practices. This is the reason that I'm driving them out before you. I want you to be a holy people, a pure people. But Israel went into the promised land, and they blew it. And when they went into Babylonian captivity, the final deportation in 586 BC when Nebuchadnezzar destroyed Jerusalem, do you know how many people of that generation, 70 years in Babylonian captivity, returned to the promised land to rebuild? You know how many? 2%. 2% of them went back and tried to rebuild, and God had given them promises. I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord, plans for welfare and not calamity to give you a future and a hope. And even though God spoke those words and said, look, I'm gonna restore the fortunes, they didn't do well with it. You can be given a ball to run with, but what you do with it is in many ways up to you. You can... I can hit you the tennis ball, but you gotta decide what you're gonna do with it. We often say in modern vernacular, the ball is in your court. What do we mean by that? We mean you gotta do something with it. You gotta walk in the good works that God's prepared beforehand that you should walk in them. And if ever there's an example of a people chosen, set apart, specially loved by God who completely fumbled the ball, it's Israel. And would to God that we learn the lesson and that's not us. Would to God that we see the spiritual privileges that we have and we run well with them. Amen? So that we don't drop the ball in our generation. Reuben had this great privilege. He was the firstborn. The firstborn typically got at least a double portion. They got the place of preeminence. But Reuben forfeited his place And the reason he forfeited his place is because of sexual sin. Sexual sin has been the long blight of humanity. Sexual sin is a 
category in and of itself because 1 Corinthians 6 says, when a man commits sexual sin, he sins against his own body. You are listening to Living Truth Radio with Pastor Michael Lance. I'm Mike Massaro, and I know what you're thinking. Wait, why are you interrupting Pastor Michael's sermon? Well, I have a good reason. Since Living Truth Radio is a listener-supported program, it relies on donations from people just like you to stay on the air. And trust me, you can't always assume that someone else is going to be the one doing the donating. So if God has blessed you through our ministry, we'd encourage you to go to livingtruthradio.org and click on the donate button. Let's face it, the way the world's going these days, we need all the solid teaching we can get. So partner with us today. That's livingtruthradio.org. Now, back to Pastor Michael. And Paul, in 1 Corinthians 6, he, he debunks a, uh, a notion around the Greek world, which was called Greek dualism. And some of the philosophers uh, who ran in Greek circles said, you can do whatever you want with your body because your body's made up of matter, and matter's evil. Only your spirit is really, truly pure. So you can do whatever you want with your body, and you can retain the purity of your spirit. And Paul says, no, you can't. No, you can't. Don't you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? Now, some of us, maybe, maybe many of us in this room have had, have had to learn lessons the hard way. Romans chapter one uh, paints this picture of mankind in rebellion to God, idolatrous, professing to be wise, they become fools, and it digresses into a group of individuals who start doing unnatural and ridiculous things with their bodies. Reuben did something very silly. It's kind of hard to understand. He slept with his father's concubine. Her name was Bilhah. She was from the south. Bill, huh? <laughs> Just kidding. I don't know where she was from. She was an older woman. She was the concubine of Jacob. And for some reason, he slept with her. And there's some conjecture about this. Some, some scholars believe that he did this because he didn't want Leah, uh, after the death of Rachel, um, which happens in the same chapter. He didn't want Leah to lose her special place, so maybe he was trying to protect mom. So some scholars say he wanted to defile Bilhah to put her in a category, category of a defiled woman so Leah would get all the attention. Some say that Reuben was actually trying to usurp his father's inheritance and, and trying to kind of sneak in there and make sure that he had everything for himself. But here's how Jacob, as he prophesies to Reuben, says, you, he says, are uncontrolled as water. Now, can you imagine, Reuben came up as the firstborn, probably bebopping in the room. All right, cool, firstborn, let's see what dad's gonna give me. Yeah! Reuben? You're my pride and my joy. It was looking good for a while. And then all of a sudden it turns. He said, you are as uncontrolled as water. Now we've been uh, looking in our world and we see a lot of places that have been flooded. And you know when floods happen, man, when water has nowhere to go, it's disastrous. Uh, where's the, there's been a flood recently. Where, what's the area of the world? Anybody know? Is it Peru? And I know there's been a number of deaths that are still trying to dig up uh, you know, bodies and, and so forth. It's been devastating. And here, Reuben is described as uncontrolled as water. 
And so notice what he says. The, the firstborn had preeminence, but he says, you shall not have preeminence because, here's the reason, you went up to your father's bed, then you defiled it, and then it's almost as if he, as he moves away from speaking directly to Reuben, he says, look at the end of verse four, he went up to my couch. It's almost like there's a note of surprise as he addresses the other sons. It, it's, a, it's a strange thing, it's a weird thing uh, when this kind of sexual sin happens and it happened in 1 Corinthians 5 where there was a man in the Corinthian church who actually was sleeping with his father's wife. And Paul said, this kind of stuff is not even done among the Gentiles, among the unbelievers and that man who's in your fellowship You've allowed a banner of grace to be woven over his life instead of just saying to him, look, this is wrong. This is not what you do. And Reuben defiled uh, his father's bed. He went up. He did the wrong thing. Uh, Wenham, Wenham, who's a, one of the commentators on the book of Genesis, says, um, he says There's, uh, this is one of the fiercest denunciations in the book of Genesis. Would you note the word uncontrolled? <clears throat> Genesis, uh, excuse me, Galatians 5.23 says, one of the fruits of the Spirit is self-control. A person who is dominated by the Spirit, and when we went through the book of Titus on Sundays, we've been talking about godliness can be defined as a God-centered or God-dominated life. When your life is not dominated by the Spirit, you start doing things that are out of bounds. Uh, you lack self-control. Look, if you lack self-control tonight, it's because the Spirit's not dominating your life. That's just the bottom line. There's no ifs, ands, or buts. That's just it. Now, it takes a while for some things to come under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. We all would acknowledge that tonight. But for Reuben, he made this dumb decision uh, it seems like it was in a moment of lust or whatever, whatever was behind it, but <clears throat> it defiled. Jacob says, you went up to my couch, you defiled my bed, you slept with a woman that belonged to me, you committed adultery. And so here's the truth of the matter, folks, and <clears throat> I know you all know this, but I'm gonna remind you because I'm in the reminding business. You never sin in a vacuum. I want to take you back to the, the beginning of the book of Genesis. God said to Adam and Eve, you can have of all these trees of the garden, there's only one tree I don't want you to mess with. What did they do? They messed with the tree. In Genesis 3, when God clothed them, remember they tried to use fig leaves to cover themselves, and fig leaves are not great covering, especially on a windy day, right? So God... God killed some animals, that's what seems to be the case, and he clothed them. Can you imagine the horror of Adam and Eve? They had, to my knowledge of what was happening in the world at that time, they did not know death. Now animals had to die because of their sin. Uh, their sons, Cain and Abel, what happened? Cain ends up killing Abel, and death now becomes commonplace 
for mankind. There's a flaming sword that rotating in every direction keeps them from the tree of life and they go out. And do you know, Adam lived over 900 years and from what I can see in scripture, he never saw the face of God again. He was barred from the garden. He used to walk with God in the cool of the day. It would appear at sunset or sometime like that. God would meet them and he would walk with Adam and Eve and they saw his face and they took things for granted as we often can. And once they were barred from the garden, can you imagine living 900 plus years? Adam got to see God's face. There was no sin, no curse, no shame. But once sin came in and the serpent said, oh, you're not going to die. Everything will be fine. Oh, yeah. And the whole human race was plunged into a condition of sin and death. And this is why we die. The sin of Adam and Eve, the fall of Adam and Eve has rippled out. Think of sin's consequences. Rippled out to how many lives? Those of you who are mathematicians, just think about the projections. Not just human life, but animal life. Think about the implications of one decision. Now, the good news of the gospel is, look, we've all sinned, amen? I know you don't want to say amen to we've all sinned, right? You want to say something better than that. But amen just means, yeah, we agree, right? So you can even amen things that hurt, you can say it with a little pain, but I feel you. Look, we've all sinned. We all fall short of the glory of God. That's why Jesus came. That's why Jesus took our shame and punishment at the cross. It interests me that when um, Jesus was dying on the cross, there's a lot of scholars that believe he was naked on the cross, and Adam and Eve uh, first experienced shame and realize their nakedness after the fall. Jesus is dying on the cross and uh, he despised the shame, the Bible says. He despised it, but he did it for the joy that was set before him. A decision, one decision. 10 minutes of your life and all of a sudden things change. I tell people and I've been saying this for 30 years now. A covenant with a person is sacred. If you are single, hold yourself pure until you're married. And if you are married, stay true to your spouse. Because the intimacy in your relationship is much bigger than a physical act. It goes much, much deeper than a physical act. In fact, your covenant with your spouse uh, in, in many ways is sealed in the intimacy in marriage and it is something that God considers sacred and the marriage bed is not to be defiled. And Reuben did it and there were consequences. In fact, Reuben lost the place of the firstborn. Now, we're gonna sprinkle this message with grace because we, we are people of the cross. We're forgiven people. Sunday came, the resurrection happened. But look, the Bible is here for our instruction. And Reuben blew it and he lost his place. Sin has consequences. 
It's just the bottom line. You know, the Reubenites, as you track them as a tribe, and remember the 12 sons of Jacob become the 12 tribes of Israel, but the Reubenites were not a very prominent tribe. There's really no uh, big famous figures that come from the tribe of Reuben. They kind of depleted in numbers as the Bible unfolds. If you want to write these down, 1 Chronicles 26, 31 and 32, 2 Kings 10, 32 through 34, uh, all say the same thing. Reuben began to just dwindle in numbers. And Ecclesiastes 8, 11, and 12 says these words. Because the sentence against an evil deed is not executed quickly, therefore the hearts of the sons of men among them are given fully to do evil. Although a sinner does evil a hundred times and may lengthen his life, still I know that it will be well for those who fear God who fear him openly. Ecclesiastes 8, 11, and 12. Look, when Reuben did this, there seems to be no, there was no immediate consequences. In fact, the Bible says, if you go back and read this account, and I'm not gonna reteach it, but it says that Jacob heard of it. He heard what he did, but there doesn't seem to be any direct rebuke in the moment. And Reuben may have been thinking, well, I got away with it. Welcome to Living Truth Radio, and we are now in Genesis chapter 49. Today's subject is Jacob's deathbed experience, and he also speaks over his sons during the, uh, the entire chapter. Pastor Michael, is there anything else you would like to emphasize or maybe even clarify or give us something from that chapter? Well, what's compelling about it, Oscar, first of all, is it's a deathbed experience, and a deathbed experience is not guaranteed to all of us. So when you get one, you could say it's a blessing uh, because you know, a chance to say goodbye, a chance to really, this is the true closure mm -hmm. that people would desire, and, and we don't always get it. And, uh, you know, we've had some family members pass away. My father passed away. I didn't know about it because he had disconnected himself from me and the family. Mm -hmm. And I had to find out on an Ancestry website that my dad passed away. So you have no chance for closure, no chance to do any kind of business that you'd want to do. So in that sense, a deathbed experience is compelling because it gives you a chance to you know, say what you need to say, yeah. uh, which often, sadly, Oscar, we fail to do. You know, it really opens by, uh, it says that Jacob's going to give a prophecy of the future. Mm -hmm. It closes with saying that he gave a charge to his sons. The bigger concept in Hebrew culture is the idea of a blessing. Mm -hmm. And it, it literally, the Hebrew picture has the idea of the hand that covers or kind of sitting on your knees before uh, an older patriarch and receiving an encouragement or a blessing. Mm -hmm. And of course, you know, these prophecies, Oscar, are filled with both encouragement and hard truth about the future. But in the end, I think we want to be people who can speak the blessing and, and think about just one application point, Oscar, is if the Lord tarries and he doesn't come back in our lifetime, we're going to probably experience a deathbed experience. Mm -hmm. And the question is really going to be, how well did we lead our families? What did we leave behind? You know, we can talk about legacy and all that. Really what I want my legacy to be is that I led my family to Christ and I led as many people as possible to Christ. And I lived for him, you know, in the way that I was supposed to. And I think that's what's compelling about uh, this experience. And I would just say to people, what can we learn from it? Mm -hmm. We can learn that we want to be able to speak into our family's lives. We want to leave it a legacy of faith and we want to charge them to follow the Lord. And uh, we want to give a blessing and leave a blessing behind. So I think that that's the major thing that I would say. Thank you for listening to today's program. If you'd like to listen to this message again, learn more about our church in Corona, 
or to access archived messages, go to livingtruthradio.org and click on the church tab. You can follow us on Instagram at livingtruthcorona or download the Living Truth Christian Fellowship app on Apple and Android devices. Living Truth Radio is a listener-supported ministry. You can partner with us by donating at livingtruthradio.org.